You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes. This week, Senior Minister Adam Hale begins a short two-part sermon series called I Got Busted. Thank you for listening, and as always, we hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Have a wonderful week. Good to be back with you today. Uh, Mike talks like they don't ever party while I'm here, and uh, I think that they just... uh, party while I'm gone. If you believe that, well, we'll talk afterwards and I I can uh, tell you otherwise. You know, the only thing I told them, I left Monday morning, I said, hey, don't burn the place down while I'm gone. And on Friday, I get a phone call. I look down at my phone and I don't recognize the number. It's from Chicago or Indianapolis, somewhere like that. And so I declined the call. I figured it's just a telemarketer. And about five minutes later, they called back. And so this time I answered it and they said, this is so-and-so from the alarm company. Uh, We have a fire alarm going off at Glendale Christian Church. (laughs) So I texted. Do what? I texted Tim, I said, you haven't burned the place down, have you? And he said, no, the alarm was just going off. But anyway, it's good to be back, and we, en- we enjoyed our time away, but it's always good to be home. You know, imagination comes from all sorts of places, and it can come from a, a song that you, you hear. Maybe it's a lyric that just uh, grips you and gets your attention. Maybe it's in a book that you read, and there's a character that you identify with, and you think while you're reading that book, and, and reading about that character, you think, yeah, that, that's me. That describes me. Well, sermon inspiration and sermon series writing, that comes from a variety of places, too. And, and I'll just tell you that uh, as we begin this new series today, we're uh, beginning this series called I Got Busted, or hashtag I Got Busted, that Jimmy Fallon right now is one of the most, uh, to me, uh, is where I find a lot of inspiration in sermon series writing. And uh, I don't know if you know who Jimmy Fallon is, but he is the host of The Tonight Show. Uh, so used to be Johnny Carson and Jay Leno, and now it's Jimmy Fallon. And, and I'll just tell you, I think Jimmy Fallon is one of the most creative people. He's one of the funniest people on TV, but he's also one of the most infinitely creative uh, people on TV. And so they'll do a, a sketch or a skit on the show, and as I'm watching it, I'll think, man, that, that, would, that would be a good topic or that would be a good uh, a good sermon illustration there. And, and so he does this one thing on usually Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, somewhere early in the early part of the week, he will tweet out a hashtag that they want you to use. And, and now if you're not sure what a hashtag is, it's the, the pound sign. And it's, yeah, that right before the I there. That's, you know, used to call it a pound sign. Now it's a hashtag. And so he will tweet something out and using a hashtag, and the goal is to get people to respond to him on Twitter or Facebook or whatever social media form, and they will tell something about themselves using a similar, relating to that hashtag. And my favorite one that he does is this one right here, the hashtag I got busted. And the goal is real simple, to get people to to tell about some a time when they did something stupid, something mischievous, something silly, and they they got caught. And as they tweet these, people will tweet these out, and usually when he puts this out, it will trend, and, and that just means that it gets, gets uh, widely popular very quickly. Um, people will do this, and they, his people will compile the funniest ones, and then later on in the week, they'll read them on the air. And so here's a couple of examples of, of real things that people have tweeted that have appeared on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Kimmel while using this hashtag, I got busted. The first one says... I was Facebooking in church, and the usher passed by and said, you better be texting Jesus. 
Hashtag I got busted. Another person tweeted, said, I was on Facebook at work. Facebook seems to be a popular theme here. Says, I was on Facebook at work and my boss walked in and I slammed down what I thought was my laptop. It was actually my desktop monitor. Hashtag I got busted. This one resonates with me. I think this would be something that I would have done and may have actually done. Says, I lied and told my dad that school was canceled. He said, great, let's go see a movie. So we got in the car and he dropped me off at school. Hashtag I got busted. Here's one more. One guy wrote, I once wrote down the answers to a final on my hand. Not saying I've never done that either. I, I wrote down the answers to a final on my hand, and on my way out the door, I made the mistake of waving goodbye to my teacher. Hashtag, I got busted. And so we can laugh at those, and if you're like me, those stories uh, probably bring back some memories of your own past. But we can, we can laugh at them because for the most part, they seem to be pretty harmless things that somebody has done. No, nobody got hurt. Nobody was, was robbed of anything. And so we can laugh at it. Another reason we can laugh at it is because these are the stories of somebody else. We're not the ones that got busted. And so what happens when it isn't harmless? Or what happens when it is us? who got busted. What do we do then? How do we react? How do we respond when we're the ones that get caught? When our sin gets called out? This morning we're going to look at the account of the very first person who ever got busted. And he didn't get busted by a school teacher or by a mom or dad or by an employer. He got busted by God. And I want you to notice right up front I'm saying he got busted. We're going to look in the first few pages of, of the scriptures. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. And so if you have your Bible, Genesis 2 and 3. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip over there. Genesis 2, 15 is where we're going to start. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's not a big deal. There's Bibles in the pews in front of you, and there's also going to be on the screen. So let's start with Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says, the Lord placed, placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the trees of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Here we have the very first command from God. Don't eat the fruit. You can, you can do whatever you want. You can eat whatever else you want from, from the garden. We've got all kinds of trees, all kinds of fruit. You can eat from any of the trees except that one. Don't eat the fruit. Simple enough, right? We would think. We, we could handle that, right? If, if that had been us in the Garden of Eden, not a big deal. We've got this covered. Don't eat the fruit, right? I want, you to, I want to point out one thing here that, that God says, who God says this to. And men, I'm just going to tell you, this doesn't bode well for us. Notice this command is given to Adam. It says, the Lord God placed the man in the garden, and, then the, and God warned him. Notice there's no mention of Eve anywhere in this. God did not tell Eve, don't eat from the tree. God told Adam. And you know why God didn't tell Eve? Because she hadn't been created yet. In fact, we're gonna read, or we're gonna, you can read in the next few verses that that's when Eve is created. But before God created Eve, he told Adam, don't eat the fruit. Now, why would he do that? Well, men, I'm just going to tell you that this is... He did this because, men, it is our God-given responsibility to be the protectors of our family's morality. 
That doesn't mean that we get to be some moral hall monitor where we're waiting for our family, our wife, our kids to screw up and we get to bust them. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm saying, what I'm saying in this is that, men, it is our responsibility for us to set the pace for, our, for the spiritual development of our families. Men, that's our responsibility. It's our job to protect our family from immoral actions, from immoral deeds. That's our responsibility. And ladies, oftentimes I know you find yourselves in, in a situation where you're the one setting the pace for, for your family's spiritual development, and it gets frustrating. And you get frustrated with that, and, you, and sometimes you, you wonder why, why you're so frustrated. I'm going to tell you why. Because you're doing a job that was never intended for you. Now, this isn't me being a misogynist or, or, or me trying to put down women. I'm just telling you, this was not your job. You were never created to be the moral protectors of your family. That was the man's job. And part of the reason, I'm just going to throw this out there, that part of the reason that we look around our culture and things seem as screwed up as they are is because, men, we haven't done a very good job of being the moral protectors of our family. Men, this was our responsibility given to us by God, and it's time that we accept it. And so here's the command, don't eat the fruit, right? You got all the other trees, you got all the, all the other kind of fruit that you could want, don't eat the fruit from that tree. And so then let's read what follows. We're going to skip over to chapter 3, the first five verses. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And I just want to pause right there for a moment and say that most scholars believe that serpent is just another name for Satan. That serpent is actually a, is a, is a pronoun of Satan. This does not mean that there was a, a talking snake that came up to Eve. Now, it could have, Satan may have taken that form, I don't know, but this does not mean necessarily that there was a, snocking, a, a talking snake that just popped up out of nowhere and, and Eve decided to believe this. That's not what we're saying here, that the serpent, Satan. And so one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Notice what happens here. Satan approaches and begins a conversation, and he asks a question that, that he already knows the answer to. But he asks a question that is, seems a little far-fetched. Did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees? Notice what God said. God said, don't eat from that one tree, right? That's what God said. And Satan asks, did, with all this fruit here, with all of these trees, with everything that you could want right here, did God really say that you can't? eat from any of these? Does God really expect you to go outside of the garden to find food? Is, is that the kind of God that you have? That's what God, Satan is beginning to undermine God's authority. Satan is beginning to, to pull into question the credibility of God. And so Eve, the woman, answers correctly and she says, no, that's not what God said. God said don't eat from that tree in the middle. We can eat from any of the other trees. Of course we can. Don't eat from that tree. Don't eat its fruit. Now, that's, that's a, a good answer by Eve, right? We would say she's answered correctly. But now let me ask this question. Why would Satan ask this question to the woman instead of Adam? Because remember, the woman, when this command was given, don't eat from the tree, the woman had not been created yet. So why would he ask her instead of Adam? 
because he's counting on Adam having screwed up the instructions. He's counting on Adam having get to, to mess up the information that God has given. And notice, we, we can deduct from the scriptures that that's exactly what happened because notice what else the woman says to the, to the serpent. Not only did she say, don't eat from the, the tree in the middle, but she said, God said, don't eat from the tree, don't even touch it. If you touch it, you will die. Now, I know we're only a couple pages into, into Scripture here, but where in all of Scripture do we ever read where God said, do not touch the fruit of the tree or you will die? Where do we read that? Right, nowhere, because God didn't say that. God said, don't eat it. He never said anything about touching it. And, and so, so Eve, this woman, has gotten this misguided information from somewhere. Where should, could she have possibly gotten the idea that she couldn't touch the fruit? Well, if God didn't say it, that only really leaves one other option because at this point in time, we're not that far into the history of man. There's only one other person on the planet that could have told her this. It had to have been Adam. Adam had to have said to her, don't touch the fruit. And maybe it was his way of, of just trying to use a little wisdom, saying, hey, you know, we can't eat from that, so it would be just best if we stayed away from it altogether. Don't even touch it. Don't even touch it. But, but again, that's not what God said. God said don't eat it. And any time where we, where we use human wisdom instead of godly instruction, we can always count on death and destruction to follow. Choosing human wisdom over godly instruction will always bring death and destruction. And so she says to Satan, if we touch it, we will die. I want, I want to point out one other thing about this. She says, if we touch it, we will die. To, to really understand what, what she's saying here, we have to look back at what God said and we have to compare it to what she's saying and we have to notice the tense in which things are said because God said, if you eat it, you are sure to die. The woman told the serpent, if we eat it, we will die. There's a, there's a present tense there. There's an expected action that if we eat, if we touch this fruit, we're going to drop dead immediately. But that's not what God said. God said, you are sure to die. It's a, it's a future tense. It's an expected action. It's eventually you will die. That's what God has said to Adam. If you eat from this fruit, you are sure to die. You will eventually die. It's not going to be immediate. But Eve has been led to believe that if she touches this, she will drop dead on the spot. Because choosing human wisdom over God's instruction always brings death and destruction. So let's read what happens in the following verses, verses 6 and 7. It says, The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give to her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. This Poor, misguided woman. She has been the recipient of some misguided information, but also intentional deceit. Adam has told her, don't touch the fruit, and that was misguided information. Maybe he, he thought he was doing what was best for her in that situation, but it's, it's misguided. The serpent has obviously intended to deceive her, and so she takes the fruit, she looks at it, 
and she holds it in her hand. Can you imagine what that moment must have been like for Eve? She, she's been told, if you touch this fruit, you will die. And Satan says, no, 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 no. You, God's just trying to keep the good stuff from you. He knows that what, what you'll be like if you, if you eat the fruit. And so she reaches up off the, off the tree and reaches to the branch and pulls down a piece of fruit. Can you imagine what that must have been like for her? She's, she's holding this piece of fruit in her hand, and she's still breathing. She's still alive. She hasn't dropped dead like she thought that she would. And so if that piece of information has been misguided or wrong, then surely it would be safe to believe that the next piece of information, that if I, if I eat it, I'll be okay too. And so she takes action. And she takes a bite and eats it and then gives it to her husband. And notice this. It says she gave it to her husband who was with her. Wait a minute. Let's just put push the pause button on this story for a moment because you're telling me that Adam who God spoke to who Adam who who was had the face-to-face conversation with God don't eat the fruit you're telling me that this whole conversation between the serpent and Eve Adam was present for he was standing right there no wonder she ate ate from the fruit no wonder she did that because at no point did Adam ever step up and do the right thing and interrupt or intervene in this conversation No wonder she did this. Man, again, I'm just telling you that it has to be one of the highest priorities in our life to be the protectors of our family's morality. And when you see things coming down the road, when you see your wife or your kids uh, heading down a path that that isn't good, you have an obligation. Even, Even stronger, you have a moral responsibility. You have a calling from God to interrupt and to intervene so that you might protect your family's morality. Now that's not to say that the woman didn't have a part in this. She, she did. She had a responsibility. Even if what Adam had told her was misguided, she knew not to eat from the tree and she did it anyway. But then what happened? They didn't drop dead like they thought they were going to, did they? But their eyes were open and they were naked and they were ashamed. Because when we fail to interrupt and to intervene to protect our family's morality, shame and guilt and fear are always the emotions that follow. Always. Always. When we fail to interrupt and to intervene to protect our family's morality, those three emotions, shame, guilt, and fear, will always follow. Why? Because we have missed the very first calling that God has given to us. You know, I hear this a lot. Uh, It's... People will say, I don't know what my calling in life is, or, or it might get said this way, I, I just don't know what my purpose in life is. The very first calling that God has given you is to protect the morality of your family. He gave that responsibility to the man, and men, it is our responsibility to share that with the woman and together be responsible for the decisions that we make. So we get into verse 8. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, and so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God God called to the man. He said, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. You know, remember when you were a kid and you had done something wrong and you knew you were about to get busted, you knew you were about to get in trouble? What did you do? You ran and hid, right? When I was probably eight or nine years old, maybe seven, somewhere, somewhere in that age range, I was over at my grandparents' house, and it, I lived 
across the street from I grew up across the street from my grandparents they on a farm they lived in a big farmhouse and there were lots in, of different rooms in that farmhouse and I had two cousins that are very close in age we're all together four months apart but there's two months in between each of us and so we spent a lot of summers growing up together getting in trouble together and there was one room in in my grandparents house where we were always told stay out you can go in any of the other rooms stay out of that room in fact besides Christmas when our family would get together for Christmas I can't remember anybody ever going into that room except for me and my two cousins when we weren't supposed to be in there. See, my, my grandmother had these ceramic birds that were about that big, and, and, and they were, were kind of gaudy, and, and, but she loved those things. And she knew that they would break easy, especially if we got in there and we were roughhousing or we were throwing a ball or whatever it is that kids often do. And she told us to stay out explicitly a number of times, stay out of that room. You can play in any other room in the house. Stay out of that room. And so one day while my grandmother was gone to work, she worked at the post office. While she was at the post office working, my cousins and I went into that room, knowing that we're not supposed to be in there. And we're playing and doing what kids do. And I, I start to say we, but I knocked over one of those ceramic birds. And the head came off. And this wasn't like one of those, like, I'm going to be able to sit, the, sit it back on top and it'll, if nobody touches it, it'll look okay. Like, no, it was severed. And so I began to panic. My cousins began to panic because we know that we're in trouble. And so we're looking around. We're looking for crazy glue. We're looking for anything that we can try to put this head of this bird back together. And we can't find anything. And the only thing that we find is black electrical tape. And let me just tell you, that probably would have been okay if the bird had been black, but it wasn't. It was not black, and so I took the he this bird, the body of this bird, and I took the head, and I taped the head of the bird back onto this body. And about the moment we finished and we set the bird back down, and let me just tell you, it was, it was not a good repair job. We set this bird down, we hear the screen door open. And Grandma has come home for lunch. And she asked the same question that God asked Adam, where are you? And so we ran and we hid. Because that's what we do when we're afraid, when we know that we're about to get in trouble. And Adam and the woman hid too because they were afraid. And then we see the ultimate in scapegoating. God is going to ask a question. And notice who he asked the question to. He asked it to Adam. And Adam must have been running for mayor of Eden or something because he plays his best political blame game. God said, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Did you do what I told you not to do? And the man replied, it was the woman who gave, me the, who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied, and that's why I ate it. This is the hashtag I got busted moment. God asked the question, did you eat this fruit? The fruit that I told you not to eat, the tree I told you to stay away from. Don't eat from that fruit. You can eat from any other, other trees in the garden. Don't eat from that one. Did you eat from it? And Adam says, well, I did, but it was that woman that you gave to me. That woman you gave to me, it, she gave it to me. So it's not just her fault. It's your fault too, God. He blames someone else. He blames, he blames God and he blames the woman. 
And so she gets asked the question, what did you do? And she blames the serpent. Now, the serpent was to blame somewhat. He, she, the woman was correct in saying that she was deceived. But she was only deceived because, because Adam and her tried to use human wisdom instead of godly instruction. And remember what we said about that. When we choose human instruction over godly wisdom, it brings death and destruction. And that's what we get here. And now there's this tension that has come. The serpent has been successful here in creating animosity between God and the humans. And parents, you understand this. When, your parent, when you tell your kids don't do something and they do it anyway, there's this tension, right? There's this, there's this anger that you feel. And God is probably angry at Adam and Eve. He's, he's upset with them. There's this tension that has, has now uh, been created between them. And it's because of the serpent. But not only has the serpent created animosity between them, he's created tension between the man and the woman. Husbands, how many times your wife said, don't do that, and you do it anyway. And there's this tension that's created, right? And Adam has blamed her for this. You know, that's the ultimate in throwing someone under the bus. I mean, he didn't just throw her under the bus. Like, he backed the bus up and came back across with it and then backed it up again and hit her again with it. He said, it was that woman that you gave to me. It's her fault. He threw her under the bus. Can you imagine what it would have been like that first night after God left the garden? Adam should have been praying for God to stay in the garden because I'm thinking that was his only protection. Can you imagine what going to bed that night was going to be like? That tension that was there? I wonder if they went to bed angry that night. God leaves and <laughs> the woman says, hey, thanks a lot. I got a short little video clip that I want you to see because I think it gives us, although humorous, I think it gives us a good depiction of what might have happened. Watch this. Now, that's a humorous uh, illustration of the very first argument. But at the same time, the, the principle is still true that there was, there was some tension there. And things were never the same between Adam and his wife or between God and people. Things were never the same because they chose to follow human wisdom instead of godly instruction. In the following verses, God gives out the consequences for their sin, and they've been busted, and now it's time for punishment. But like a good father, he punishes, but he also provides. Notice what he does in verses 20 and 21. It says, Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve, because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Notice what he does here. The woman's finally given a name. Up until this point, she's been known as the woman. And maybe for all of history, she would be known as the woman who screwed things up, the woman who ate from the fruit. But she's given a name, and it's a good name, a name that means mother, a mother to all who live. That's a good name. It's a good title. And then it says that God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Up until this point, they hadn't had any clothes. They hadn't had any need for any clothes. And so even though God must banish them from the garden, he, he provides for them. He provides clothing for them. But what's interesting to me is that we don't ever really see Adam ever own responsibility for his sin. We never see Adam take responsibility for his sin. Maybe he did and it's just not recorded. I don't know. Maybe God and Adam had this what we would call a come to Jesus meeting and Adam owned up to his mistakes. He owned his sin. Maybe he did and we just don't know about that. But Part of me wants to think that, but, I, but as you read it, it's not one of these stories that ends happily ever after. 
I want to give Adam the benefit of the doubt that he faced that he that when faced with his sin he took responsibility and that he learned to listen to godly instruction but the evidence is that he didn't and you say what evidence well we look to the evidence of his children we know he has several children and of them are Cain and Abel and we know the story of Cain and Abel we know that Cain goes out and murders Abel and when God confronted Cain about Abel's murder Cain faints Cain faints ignorance and, and denies responsibility. You know where he got that from? Where he must have learned that from? From his dad. Adam failed to protect Eve's morality, and it looks like he failed to protect his sons as well. And because Adam failed to take responsibility for his role in his sin, it set an example for his children to follow. And when we get busted and we fail to own our own sin and to repent of, of that sin, it leads us to consequences that will be, be much more painful and have much more suffering. It will create more pain and more suffering. You think Adam and Eve had suffered a great deal when, when they realized that they were in a fallen state? Yeah, sure they did. But no parent ever wants to see anything happen to their kids. What must, what must that pain and suffering have been like when they discovered their son's body? And knowing that it came at the hands of one of their other sons. This morning, I don't know what sin it is that you're dealing with. I don't. But I know this. I know that everyone deals with sin. There's not a person in here that does not deal with sin on a daily basis. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to be like Adam and pass the blame so that more pain and suffering will come? Or will we take responsibility for it? Because the reality is, is that we've all been busted. We are all busted. We've all been caught in our sin. Jesus, uh, Paul says in Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, that means while we were being busted, Jesus came and he died for us. We have been busted. So what are we going to do? Are we going to take responsibility for our sins? Own up to it? Face the consequences? And allow God to, to clothe us with His righteousness because we've repented of our sin? Or are we going to shirk our responsibility? We're going to evade responsibility, blame someone else. It's somebody else's fault. It's not my fault that I sin. It's somebody else's fault. You can do that. But rest assured, if you do that, you will create more pain and more suffering, not only for yourself, but for those around you who you love. So what are you going to do when you're busted? You're going to own your sin and allow Jesus to come in and wash you from it, to be clothed in His righteousness? Or are you going to deny it? The choice is yours. But the reality is, we've already been busted. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you, and we're thankful for the gift of your Son and, and the gift of mercy that we find at the foot of the cross. Father, I pray that this morning as we talk about dealing with sin that we would own our responsibility in it. And that we would come to you knowing that we have been caught and that we would repent. That we would turn away from our evilness, from our wickedness and we would, we would lay our sins down at the foot of the cross owning our part in it and allowing you to wash us white as snow, allowing you to clothe us in your righteousness. Father, thank you for the lessons that we can learn from, 
from accounts of Scripture like this one, like Adam and Eve. And, and Father, help us to, to do better. To not blame other people, to, to not pass the buck, but, but for it to stop with us so that we might so that we might be able to share the, the hope not only with our families, but with those who we'll be coming in contact with. Father, what a great hope it is that we have in your Son, Jesus. If we're willing to acknowledge our, our failures, and to acknowledge that it's only in the name of Jesus that we can be made whole. And it's in that name that we pray. Amen.